Good morning. How's everyone? Good. The time messing anyone up? Everybody doing okay with it? Um, the older I get, the harder change gets, so this is kind of a clunky morning for me, but, but we made it. That's good to see you all. Sam and Chris Best are in Tampa uh, for the dedication of the new building, praise the Lord. Uh, so be rejoicing about that, but also uh, praying uh, for that dedication and praying for their trip back. They get back late tonight. Mitch Dobson is in Denver uh, preaching there uh, this, this weekend. And then Saturday, Brandon and I uh, head out to Georgia for the Discipleship Conference. So Troy Stogsdale will be uh, teaching in the evenings. Um, that in and of itself is worth the trip. Uh, if you can't make it, it's definitely worth tuning in to hear what God has given Troy for us. And then during the week, Brandon and I have a leadership track um, that we'll be covering. So we covet prayer. We really do. We, we, we all need it. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 5 this morning. Uh, so grateful, so humbled by everything this morning, the, the praise and worship and uh, the testimony uh, with Lydia and Bree. It just happened uh, to fall uh, on this particular Sunday. It wasn't my plan. I didn't know I was going to be preaching when that discussion was had about that testimony, but I do think it'll be fitting with respect to some of the things that we'll look at today, but uh, so thankful for my baby girl who's not so baby these days. Uh, she's uh, a growing young woman and uh, so very thankful for Lydia, Lydia's investment in Bree. Uh, Lydia has become part of our family. Uh, we will be uh, eternally grateful uh, for the love that she has shown our daughter. Uh, she has loved Bree and uh, I don't have words. Lori and I don't have words. Uh, she has, um, she has spent time with her. She has taught her. She has included her. Uh, I, I, I could, my vocabulary fails me to try and capture um, the quality of that investment and the difference that it has made in Bree's life. We, what do you say? So praise the Lord. Father, would you help us this morning as we position ourselves before your word that we would hear your voice and not just hear it, but we would run with what we hear. That is what will bring you glory and that is what will bring great change in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. A young man fresh out of seminary thought it would be good to take a job as a police officer first to get acclimated with the community and get to know people. He passed the physical examination, no problem. And then there was the oral exam to ascertain his alertness of mind and his ability to act quickly in very uh, high stress or emergency situations. So one of the questions that they asked him was, was so how would you disperse a frenzied crowd? Uh, he thought for a moment, and he answered very wisely, I would take up an offering. <laughs> I would imagine that he passed the exam with flying colors. In all seriousness, I do believe that 
For many of us, we, when we think about this massive topic of leadership, we can tend to look at it as a very lofty thing, right? It's only accessible to the spiritual elite, to those who are just so immensely and uniquely gifted of God to be able to reach and stand on that great platform while the rest of us just get to admire that and just stand back and say, how nice it would be if I could somehow be used in that capacity. Let me just level the playing field this morning for MBT. There are no elite people here. There are no celebrities, there are no five-star pastors, no five-star leaders. There isn't anyone in the, in the room, anyone in, in this flock that just stands out from everybody else and, and we just go, wow. They're, they're just so far away from me and, and all of that. If by chance someone happens to believe um, that they are that person, that they are the elite exception, I trust that this morning the Holy Spirit will correct that thinking and, uh, and set them straight, right? In Life Fellowship, we've been walking through the book of 2 Samuel and trusting God to deal with us and show us a number of things, and I do believe that he has and is doing that. We started chapter 5 last week, and so we're going to invite you to jump in with us today. To This is what I would have taught if I was going to be teaching in Life Fellowship today, so we're going to allow the rest of MBT to eavesdrop, if you would, so feel free to, to eavesdrop and get what you can. But in chapter 5, something special really happens the nation of Israel as a whole embraces David as their king, which was God's will from the very beginning. What an honor it had to have been for David to serve as the king of the greatest nation on planet Earth, the nation of Israel. And in looking at that, our focus was leadership simplified. There are some things that we see about this and things we see about David that simplify this, this, this giant topic of leadership and, and puts it within reach for all of us. But God had placed David on a very large leadership platform, if you would. Now, we may never become a pastor. Most people in the room will not, or a missionary, or an author, or a president, or a high-powered executive. But there are some observations in these opening verses of 2 Samuel chapter 5 that I'm telling you, we're all qualified to hit. If we're open. If we're open and willing to receive what God has for us. These observations reveal unequivocally who it is that God seeks to use and will use on this great platform that we call leadership. And Life Fellowship, we covered the first three verses last week, so we're going to review that. But as we do, I want you to understand, this whole thing is as simple as I would take up an offering. Don't need a PhD for that. Don't need to be a rocket science to be able to provide an answer like that. It's really simple. Like much of the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 5 is very rich in its depiction of David as a type of Christ. And 
that leaps off the page in the opening verse of 2 Samuel chapter 5. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Up to this point, the nation has been fractured. It's been divided. It's been embroiled in something that was very grievous to God, civil war. Can I tell you? Few things grieve God like his people being at war. This was ugly. After the death of Saul, only the tribe of Judah recognized David as king, while the rest of the nation embraced Saul's son, Isbosheth, as their king. Abner and Isbosheth were unceremoniously removed from the nation, and the nation agreed with God that David was, in fact, his anointed king over them. But this pictures what will happen at the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Israel as a whole, Judah and Israel, the whole nation as a whole, will embrace him, will receive him as their king, as the Messiah that they rejected at his first advent. Uh, the book of Hosea chapter 1 verse 11 refers to this as the day of Jezreel. And this will be a great day the national salvation and restoration of the nation of Israel when they will come together and receive the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, as their head. So you see that here pictured in verse 1. But verse 1 also pictures the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Uh, like uh, we see here in verse 1, as the church, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Ephesians 5.30 tells us that. But historically, what we're looking at here in this opening verse, the focus very clearly is on God's family. It's on the family of God. Israel and Judah coming together over the will of God. So who is it? Who is it that God is going to use? Who is God going to seek to use on this platform of leadership? I promise you, it will be someone who is all about family. It will be. How simple is that? If you observe your pastors and the leaders in this place, this is one of the things that you will see. As imperfect as this place is, and we all are imperfect, they will love this family. They will be all about this family. They will not despise this family. They will love this family. And this family will take a backseat to no other family Verse 2, also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou was he that us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. Yes, David became king over the entire nation. And again, what an honor, what a privilege, but that's not where it started. As a matter of fact, God took him from the sheepfolds. Psalm 78, 70 tells us that's where it started for David, and he showed himself faithful there. God would then use him to slay Goliath. God would then use him to lead the soldiers of Israel out into battle and then bring them back from battle victoriously. All of that and more was used to prepare David to eventually become the king over the nation of Israel. So who is it? that God is going to use or seeks to use on this 
platform of leadership, it will be someone who is all about humility. Uh, Some might need to expunge their worldly perspective of leadership, which says the focus of leadership is your title. The focus of leadership is your position. The focus of leadership is your image. The focus of leadership is how impressive people think you are. The focus of leadership is not how many people you get to serve, but how many people can serve you. That needs to be expunged. God is not seeking or interested in using anyone like that on the platform of leadership. Not at all. God is seeking to use someone on this great platform who sees no distinction between what I am doing right now and cleaning the church yesterday. That's who God is looking to use on the platform of leadership. God is not seeking to use anyone who is impressed with themselves, Uh, anyone who is preoccupied with themselves. This is one of the curses of our culture is that people are fixated on themselves, caught up, intoxicated, drunk on me. I says, no, thank you. I'm interested in someone who is fixated on me and the sheep. Someone who is given to being a servant, right? This is one of the reasons David is described as a man after God's own heart. That's God's heart. Was he perfect? Far from it. But when you look at the body of work of his life, you could say he was humble. Brothers and sisters, if you get nothing out of today, I implore you to get this. With God, humility wins. With God, Humility wins. You want to win with God. Be someone who embraces humility. It has been wisely said. All men have the choice of being humble or being humbled. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. One way or the other, God is going to get us there. The world, the flesh, and the devil scream otherwise. But you need to know from God's perspective, pride always leads to a very unfriendly dead end. It's very unfriendly. How simple is this? Verse 3, So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. So in verse 1, the nation pledged their allegiance to David as their king. And here in verse 3, David pledged his allegiance to them. And King David made a league with them. Now to understand the size of this word league here in verse 3, it was translated 265 times as covenant in our Old Testament. So this is a very, very big word. What's going to happen at the second advent of Christ is that God is going to make a new covenant with the nation of Israel, Jeremiah 31, one of the places that shows us this. But essentially, 
What we're seeing here in verse 3 of 2 Samuel chapter 5 is we're seeing a nation that is united together before God. They're unified. They were unified before God, which was not a trivial thing with God. Listen, one of the things that you always want to do as a believer in Jesus Christ, when it comes to your value system, you want to make sure that it is in alignment with God's. In other words, whatever premium God places on something, you want to make sure that you match that in your own personal life. So one of the things that you need to understand, that I need to understand, is that God places an extremely high premium on unity. Very high. Very, very high. So who is it that God is going to use? Who does he seek to use? on this platform of leadership, it will be someone who is all about unity. From God's perspective, it is good and pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. Is that your perspective? In your heart, in your mind, is that in alignment with God, that God, I agree, amen, it is good and pleasant for me to dwell together in unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ. You might be able to captivate the room with your doctrinal prowess, but if you cannot walk with and work with God's people, that will be rendered useless eventually. I've seen this happen. Now, if we stopped right here, that'd be plenty, right? I mean, just these first three verses, but there's more. Verse four. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. Joseph, as we know, Sam walked us through this, was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The minimum age for Levites to serve in the tabernacle was 30. Jesus began to be about 30 years of age when he began his earthly ministry. And for whatever it's worth, which not a whole lot beyond my family, but I was 30 years old when I married Lori Morgan. And for years, I have been saying that we were 30 when we got married and she reminds me ever so consistently that she was actually 29. <laughs> but if you're rounding up, she was 30. I mean, she was close enough to me, so I say 30. But 30 is a number that is associated with maturity. So is it that God's going to use on this platform of leadership someone who's all about maturity? someone who is all about maturity. What is being conveyed to us is that David was ready at this season of his life. He was ready to begin reigning as the king of Israel. Now, as it relates to leadership, uh, here's something that we have to understand. As you look at David's life and you look at the journey to this point, I do believe that, that we, can, we can overlook this, but would you hear this? With God, 
preparation for a specific role is as vital as the role itself. We tend to overlook this. We can become preoccupied with the role itself and how soon can we get it. But with God, preparation is as vital as the role itself. God looks at, are we mature enough for the role? Are we ready? Are you ready to deal with and handle all that comes with this? Are you mature? It's been a number of years now, but I went through a heartbreaking and devastating season in ministry. One that took the air out of me for a while. I was on the verge of becoming the lead pastor of a group of people that I love so much and loved and loves me and my family so much to this day. Um, I spoke to one of those guys this week. His son is competing in Division I college athletics and is doing very, very well, and it looks like the professional ranks are on the horizon for his son. I couldn't be happier for them. But that trajectory um, took a very hard left turn. On the kind of turn that left Lori and I gasping for emotional air. I'll never forget the day of sitting with her in the car in a park and hearing her cry from her soul. It was like her mom or her father had died. And she said those words to me, it feels like a death. I mean, I was right there. This was in motion and it crashed and burned. I could share a lot with you about all of that, but here was the undeniable conclusion that God led me to. After the dust cleared on all that, I was not mature enough to be a lead pastor at that time. That was the truth. I was not ready. I couldn't agree with God more on that. At the time, I couldn't, but years later, I see it. I tremble to imagine what would have happened to my family and that beloved church had I assumed the role of lead pastor without being ready. It causes me to tremble because I look back and I think about some of the glaring weaknesses that I had at that juncture in my life. The kind of weaknesses that would have proved to be very costly for someone in the role of lead pastor of a medium to large sized church. Here are some critical takeaways for me in terms of that that I'll share with you that I think hopefully will be enlightening for us. 
Number one, age is not the end all as it pertains to spiritual maturity. Just because someone is a certain age doesn't mean that they're mature. Time is not the end all as it pertains to spiritual maturity. Sometimes people think, well, man, I've been in this church since it started. When are they going to recognize that it's my turn, it's my time? When are they going to ask me to lead a certain ministry? When are they going to consider me uh, for being ordained or whatever the, the thought might be? It doesn't matter how long you've been in a place. A spiritual gifting is not the end all as it pertains to spiritual maturity. Uh, this is one of the things that I struggled with was, well, I'm gifted, like, I know I'm not the best at it, but I am gifted to preach, like, this church needs better preaching. <laughs> that was one of my problems. I was arrogant. Willingness is not the end all as it pertains to spiritual maturity. I was willing. <laughs> I was more than willing. I was bursting at the seams. Give it to me. I will lead this church to heights that it's never seen. These people, by the, you, you give me a year, these people are going to love the Word of God unlike they've ever loved it. This is how I was thinking. Repulsive, isn't it? You can smell the pride in all that, can't you? Well, here's one for us to really consider. Knowing the Bible well is not the end all as it pertains to spiritual maturity. Does that make sense? All of those things are part of the conversation, I understand. But here's what we have to get. What regards someone as mature and sets them apart for ministry leadership is Christ-likeness. It's not how smart and deep you are. It's not how eager you are. It's not about how gifted you are. How much like Christ are you? This is why a seven-year-old can be more mature than a 70-year-old. Does the 70-year-old know more? Of course they do. But the issue is not knowledge. The issue is maturity. The seven-year-old in Kid Town is actually living out the things that they're learning, which is why they're more mature. They're obedient. Ephesians 4.13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the, in your notes, would you underline this word, stature, of the fullness of Christ. Stature. Stature is very similar to the word mature. And that's exactly what it means. It means maturity. Listen, to be crystal clear, Christ is the standard for maturity. Christ is the standard for maturity. Whether we are mature or not, listen, 
is not based on the conclusion that we arrive at by comparing ourselves with others. So I can look around and go, well, you know, I'm so much more mature, I'm so, so much more advanced than, than Wagi, so I'm doing well. The problem is, Wagi is not the standard, neither am I. It's very foolish, that's a carnal measurement, which means the math that, that you come up with is, is wrong <laughs> every single time. What speaks to our level of spiritual maturity is how close are we to Christ in thought, speech, and behavior? That's it. I am not the deepest thinker in the room. You're like, amen, glad you said it, I didn't have to. I got you covered, I'm your man. But for me, this will be very deep. Spiritually mature believers are those who hear the word of God and obey it consistently. That's it. You go, well, if that's as deep as you got, bro, I could have slept in again this morning with the time change. <laughs> Came here to hear that? That's as shallow as what they're teaching in Kid Town. It is very deep, though, when you step back and you consider how illogical, how inconvenient, and at times downright uncomfortable that obedience is at times. Now it's gotten deep. Now it's gotten deep. See, this is, this is what separates the mature from the immature. See, to the immature, once it's illogical, once it's inconvenient, once it's downright uncomfortable, they're out. They now excuse themselves from obedience to the word of God, which is why they don't grow, which is why they're immature. The spiritual immature says, my goodness, this doesn't make sense. My goodness, it seems like this is so inconvenient to obey God that, that it would be right to disobey him. This is so gut-wrenching hard. But the word of God says this, and I will do that. Why is it that a husband refuses to love his wife like Christ loved the church? Why is it that a wife refuses to be subject to her husband in everything? Why is it that children refuse to obey their parents in the Lord? Why is it that believers fight and war with their pastors? It's because at times it's just too illogical. It just doesn't make sense to do what the Bible says right now. It's just too inconvenient. I wish the scenario, I wish the season was a little bit more comfortable for me to obey and do what the Bible says. It's just too hard. I don't want to die to myself. 
so my wife will have to wait to tomorrow to see if I'm in a better place to love her like Christ loved the church, but I just don't feel like it today. My husband will have to wait until a better time. Today is just not the day for me to be subject to him in everything. Maybe tomorrow. If my pastors were singing a tune that I want to hear, then I would follow willingly and gladly. But I don't like the tune right now. Listen, both maturity and immaturity are unmistakable. You cannot miss them. Why? Because obedience and disobedience are both unmistakable. Finally, verse 5. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. So we were introduced to the number 40 in verse 4. And we encounter it again here in verse 5 when you put it all together. While the number 30 is associated with maturity, the number 40 is clearly associated with testing. The flood was 40 days upon the earth. Esau was 40 years old when he took two pagan wives. Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights on the mount. God made Israel to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Who is it? that God is seeking to use on this platform of leadership? Who is it that God is going to use on this platform of leadership? It will be someone who is all about dependability. It will be. David would have been around 15 when he was anointed by Samuel, had a, had a brain freeze there, when he was anointed by Samuel back in 1 Samuel. So the space between that anointing and this reign beginning was 15 years. And those years included suffering, trials, disappointments, and listen, personal failure. And the 40 years that he reigned would have included, and they did include the same, but by the grace of God, he pressed on. Brothers and sisters, please, <laughs> ministry leadership is not easy. It is not easy. The highs are really high, and the lows are really low. There are some absolute gut-wrenching moments. In a church like this, we might be deceived into believing that the men who stand behind this pulpit regularly are living the good life. 
I'm going to tell you, I know all of our pastors personally, and I can attest that they are all exceptional men. Every one of them. They're very special. Like you, I learn from them all regularly. And I'm very thankful for that. However, they are not celebrities and they are not invincible. Like you, they're weak, they're imperfect, they get hurt, and they have moments of personal failure. Including this one right here. But despite that, they're dependable, aren't they? There have been times where I have watched one of our pastors get up and preach the word of God, and I think to myself, if the people in this room had a clue of what he's dealing with right now, what he's going through, what he's carrying in his heart, what he's carrying in his life, they don't have a clue. But these men understand they have to keep going. Starting with Sam, I have watched all our pastors take some vicious shots. Vicious. Get knocked down and by the grace of God, get up and keep moving forward. I've sat with them in those hard, dark, low moments where tears are flowing. This is what it looked like in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Consider Acts 14, beginning in verse 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people and, having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. If they stoned Paul to the point where they thought he was dead, how much pain do you think he was in the next day? I mean, we can read this and just gloss over it. Well, this is the next day he gets up and he just keeps going. Yeah, he, he did do that. But can you imagine the physical pain he had to have been in? The bruises, the scars on his face, all over his body. For some of you, the reason that God is delaying your progress in ministry leadership is because of something that the Apostle Paul said to his disciple Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, verse, chapter, or, yeah, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3, 
Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. See, ministry leadership eventually will get very hard. Very hard. And God knows that the platform that you are coveting, what comes with that platform are some very dark and devastating days. The kind of days that will snatch the air out of you. The kind of days that will tempt you to wonder, where did God go? Some of these days are incredibly lonely. The kind of days that will tempt you to quit. And he knows that as it stands right now, you are not ready for those days. He knows that when those days come, you will wilt, and you'll become a victim, and you'll run. You'll abandon your post, because it's hard. This is what we do today in Laodicea, right? Marriage is hard, I'm out. I didn't get my way at my church, I'll find another one. We'll close with this. Please hear this. God seeks to use people in ministry leadership who do not view quitting as an option. The option to quit is not an option. Praise the Lord. We're celebrating today the dedication of a new building. That's a wonderful thing. We are trusting God for more of those, right? We are trusting God to plant churches, correct? We believe God will do that. Some of you will be a part of those launch teams. It will be incredibly hard. These five things must be reflective of who you are. If you're on a launch team and these five things don't capture who you are, you shouldn't launch. You should stay. Because the one thing that pastor who is leading this church plant, the one thing he cannot afford is when the bullets start flying and the grenades are thrown, you wilt.
Can't do it. So, where are you? What have you heard from the Lord today? And what is it that you need to deal with in your heart? If you're here today and you've never met him and you're saying, okay, this is interesting, but not really sure how this affects me. Well, I would say this. The Lord led you here today so that you could hear from him through me that he loves you immensely. So much so that he came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures so that you could be reconciled to him. That's why you're here. Welcome, we're glad you're here. And we would love to escort you directly to him so that you can meet him personally and receive him as your king and Lord. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. Because it was opened and your Holy Spirit spoke, I do believe that we've all heard from you on some level and some capacity. Whatever it is that we've heard, um, Father, let us not be passive with that. Let us respond right now, not tomorrow or next Sunday, but let us deal with you now, whether it be to put a stake down or confess something or maybe to believe the gospel for the first time and enter into an eternal relationship with you. God, let us all be bold to act on what you have shown us. In Jesus' name, amen.